0: Good morning. Good morning. Oh, how's everybody doing? Right. Good. Good to see you all. Bright-eyed. And bo- oh, I'm sorry. That was the first group. First, first, first. Man, I was shocked, man. People came with some energy. But it's good to see you all. Welcome to Church of the Bridge. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here, and we want to welcome you. And I'm excited today to share the Word of God with you. Amen. We started a series uh, the week before last um, entitled Amazing Stories. How many of you know that the Bible has a lot of what people refer to as stories? stories. But the thing about it is that these stories are different because one, these stories are factual, but also these stories don't just tell us a story about people that we're reading about. It's our story. It's our story. And so I want you real quick to uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 40. You can use your Bible if you don't have it, or if you just want to follow us on the screen, you can do that as well. While you're doing that, I just want to reemphasize a point that I was making during the first week of this series, that stories are powerful. Stories have a way of conveying information and passing on uh, valuable information that's a resource to us. Case in point, back in the old days, back before any of us, right, in the old days, uh, stories were the means by which they passed on uh, history. They passed on information. Even in the Bible, you see the book of Psalms and you see uh, other things. And if you know anything about Jewish culture till this day, what sounds like chanting is them rehearsing, recounting the word and what God's word says. So stories are valuable and they're powerful. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 40, it tells us something about these men and women and the impact of their stories. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not expect, not accepting uh, deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, uh, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. Sheepskin. Skins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having pro- provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us." And so I want us to pause there and consider that even for those that endured some difficult situations in their day, the Bible says that there was something better that was at work in them. And one of the main things that we see uh, from these many stories that we'll, we'll be looking at is faith, faith at work. How many of us know that faith is a work in progress? The Bible says that we go from faith to faith. Another portion of scripture says that we go from glory to glory. And so it's something progressive. And I want to encourage you to pay close attention to where we're going with these stories and to do your homework. Please don't leave here talking about Pastor Jose said. Go back and study them for yourself. Because one thing that we're going to find is this, is that their story is our story. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says. It says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's interesting about Hebrews 12 is that it proceeds Hebrews 11. And so it's a continuation. And what the writer of Hebrews here is saying is this. When it talks about this cloud of witnesses, it's talking about a group of spectators. And so what it's saying to us is that these people were looking forward until this day. They still look forward to where we are in Christ today, that their witnesses, that their lives bear truth to our life today. Let me show you something from Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, because we can easily look to people like a Samson, or like a David, or like a Moses, or like a Joshua, and go, ooh, wow, what amazing people of faith. But I want you to see what Jesus had to say about them. In Matthew thirteen seven, he says this, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they did not see, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And so here's what Jesus is saying. That while we can look to their stories in amazement, we must realize that they were looking forward to our story. They were looking forward to hear what you hear and what you know today. They were looking forward to see the promises of God fulfilled in and through our lives today. They're looking forward to it. And so while we look to their stories in amazement, they look forward to our stories in amazement. And so today we're going to be digging into the word and we're going to, look, we're going to be looking at a, uh, a, a, general, a man by the name of Gideon. And so today while uh, we're looking at the life of Gideon, uh, we're going to realize that Gideon encountered a lot of problems. Gideon had some major challenges. Gideon also had some major insecurities. Um, and so though he was an Israelite, his household was a reflection of the state of all Israel. They were in a bad situation. Gideon, while being a child of God, a part of the people of Israel, was a pagan. The Bible tells us that his father was in his household, that they worshipped a God that was referred to as Baal. And so all Israel, at this point, where we're going to pick up in the story, is enslaved. They're under the rule of a people called the Midianites. They're impoverished. They're in dire straits. And, 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 and where we're going to find them is that they lack a trust in God. And what's interesting as we start here today is that while Gideon was in the same predicament as them, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that he was a man whose faith we should pay attention to. And so turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And we're going to see... Uh, from the life of Gideon that what seems to contradict what we believe to be faith actually speaks to us about what faith is. And so in Judges chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 2, it says, "...and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel." Because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. By the way, just an FYI so you can get a a clearer picture of this. When the Bible talks about dens, it's talking about holes in the ground. And so they don't even have their own land. They're up in mountains somewhere hiding. Verse 3 says, So it was, whenever Israel had sown, uh, the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. But they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 7 says that it came to pass that when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. And so here's the deal, right? While this refers to the people of Israel, it's important for us to understand that it's also talking about the state that Gideon found himself in. He's in the same predicament. Very important. And I want to encourage you to not disassociate yourself from this story and simply look at it as a good Bible story. I want you to see that what Gideon went through sometimes is our story. But his victory is also our story. Anybody in need of some victory? What you might not know is that it's already yours. You just don't know how to appropriate it. And so I want us to look at Scripture. And so everything that that the Israelites were sowing. They're in the mountain, they're in mountain areas. They're hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. And they're deftly afraid. And so the Bible tells us that they, they, anything that they would sow to grow a crop so that they could reap a harvest, so that they could have some sustenance to eat, that the moment it sprang up, guess who else sprang up? Their enemies. And so they're trying to just survive. And in the midst of every, their crop growing up, their enemies show up and they show up with their tents and they show up with their livestock and they show up with their armies and they would come as thick as locusts. Now, I've never seen locusts per se in, 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 uh, in flying in a bunch, but from what I've seen in movies and what I've read in research, when locusts come, it's like the lights go out. They come so thick and everything that they touch, they completely destroy they leave it destroyed. Maybe you might feel that way. Well, I got a word from God for you. The Bible says that he restores what the locust has eaten in your life. That's good news. Whatever loss you've suffered, whatever challenges you've endured, I want you to know that there is a comeback for you. Because Christ is your Lord. Because he lives in you. Because God has great plans for you and I. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. Okay, good. I'm glad you agree with that. And so. God sends them a prophet. And this prophet comes and he tells them, he reminds them that God brought them out of Egypt. That God's saying, have you forgotten that I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt? He reminds them that uh, he gave them a land of promise. That promise hadn't changed. But he also tells them why they were in the predicament they were in. It was because they weren't listening to the Lord. They were stubborn. They were seeking after their own circumstances, their own situations. You know, if you think about the people of Israel, they were always looking backwards. They had just been delivered from the people of, 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 of Egypt. This deliverer Moses shows up. They're delivered from Egypt. And while they're moving forward, and they, the first chance that they got that they found any resistance, they would look back and go, oh man, if we could just go back to Egypt, we had meat. And if we could just be honest here we can do that sometimes too if we're not careful. We're looking forward and yet somehow we're looking backwards. That's not a place to go. You know, this isn't even part of my notes, but I remember a time many years ago where I worked with, I managed programs all throughout New York City and even had offices here up in Beacon and a lot of the work that I did was working with men and women that had been formerly incarcerated and also working with their families and their children to assist in that transition process. And I, I, I can't tell you how many times I would encounter guys who, uh, men and women, who face challenges, real challenges, but in the midst of those challenges because they felt like it was so hard, every now and then I would hear somebody say, you know, I was better off just in prison. It was easier. And I would, I, and I would ask them, what is it that you're looking backwards to What is the benefit in that? And what it was is that they were facing so many challenges that they just wanted to give up. This is where Israel was at. They had given up, but God's promise still remained. What God had in store for them was still intact. They just did not see it. And so we find Gideon and the Israelites broken in poverty, yoked under the bondage of oppression and crying out and complaining to God. Saying, God, help us. It reminds me of a time where, um, I think I've shared this, some of you might recall this, but it reminds me of how we started in ministry, my wife and I. and Actually, not just my wife and I, my wife and I and our kids because they were in it too. Our kids were those kids that were asleep under the seats and all kinds of stuff. They, they, wherever we went, they went. We took two buses uh, from Fordham all the way out to the church that we were at, rain, sleet of snow, we were just committed, right? But I remember when we first started going to church, at this time, um, my wife and I weren't married yet, um, but we were, you know, really, you know, just kind of working through things and all that, and you could kind of say we were dating, right? We were keeping it clean and all that, but it was just, we were just focusing on the Lord. And uh, we were on our way uh, to church, you know, we, I started going to church again and all that, and I... I You got to understand that I went through an experience where I was just jacked up in church growing up. It was just bad. It was really bad. I had the wrong view of God. And so uh, we start going to church and and I noticed that every week when we were leaving, um, I always saw these little papers laying around. And, you know, if you know me or you know anything about me, you'll know that I'm very big on detail. I noticed the little things. I, I, I'm, I'm conscious of the big picture, but I, the little things are important. Because the Bible says that God, he, he, he's at work in the day of small beginnings, that he rejoices in that. And so I look at the small details. So I would see this and I would just walk out. And then one day, uh, service is ending. It's a Sunday and I'm, I'm walking out and the pastor stops me and we start talking, you know, and talking a little bit about the sermon. He's asking me how I'm doing. And, and as I'm talking to him, it's driving me bananas looking at all these papers laying around. And so I see all these, these papers and, and I just can't help myself. And I, and I want to believe, I, I want to say if I recall correctly that I was probably even rude about it. I said, I just got to ask you something. And I guess maybe he thought I was going to ask him something about the Bible. And I said, what's with the papers? He says, what? I said, what's with all these little papers over here in this area? And with, it was complete love what he was saying to me. There was, he wasn't being condescending and he wasn't being a smart aleck. But he says to me, you know, Jose, if you're the only one that noticed it, maybe it's because you're the one who's supposed to do something about it. And that impacted me in such a way. I didn't take it the wrong way. And without saying another word to him, we finished our conversation, and my wife thought we were, and I said, just wait up. And I literally went, and what's interesting is, not everybody else was oblivious. I'm kind of like inching around people and picking up papers. Right And the trail went to the bathroom, I don't know what they were doing, but maybe it was a little kid, I don't know, whatever. But anyway, I picked up all these papers and every week, week in, week out, we were the first ones there and we were the last ones to leave. We were the first ones in and the last ones out. The beginning of our ministry started with cleaning toilets. See, when people think about ministry, when people think about uh, uh, where God is taking you, they think about the big stage. They think about, oh, God's going to use me in this amazing way, and God's going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And yes, you're right. But just understand that it starts small. You got to be faithful where you're at. And that's how we started. And so so here's, here's, here's why I'm sharing this with you, because this is exactly Gideon's predicament. He's complaining to God. I was complaining. And it was driving me nuts. It, 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 and, you know, thank God I'm not one of those people that the smallest thing in the church offends you and you're ready to go. It was just driving me crazy. And so I was complaining in my own head, my own self-talk, and this is where getting in the Israelites are. At. They're complaining that what they're not realizing is that the solution is right in your hand. See, if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to center your thoughts around going forward. That the solution to your problem lies within you. It's within you. The Bible says that he's given you his word and by his word he's thoroughly equipped you for every good work. The Bible says that he's predestinated you unto good works. The Bible says that he's giving you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You are fully equipped... You might be looking at yourself and going, well, I lack this. You don't understand. I don't got a job. You don't understand. I don't have the education. You don't understand. Listen, I completely understand because I'm that person that didn't have the qualifications and got the promotions. I'm the one that didn't have the education and got the advancement. I'm the one that while there were salary freezes, I was getting salary raises. I'm telling you. When you're favored of God and you're blessed of the Lord, you got to remember something. I've got everything I need right now. You lack nothing. You lack nothing. The question is, what are you perceiving? And so while you're waiting on God, God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you. I believe today with all my heart that there's somebody here that needs to hear that. God, you're waiting on me. If you're complaining, my wife puts it this way: Jose, if you complain, you remain. And you know why she, You know why I can share that with you because I can have a tendency to complain sometimes. I can get so focused on the little details on the things that it, it, it just drives me nuts. And my wife says, Jose, if you complain, you remain. You stay stuck. And I got. I got. A, I got to retract bring back this mind and bring back my thoughts and go, whoa, 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 whoa. What does God's word say? What's my part in the midst of this? And so let's skip over to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. So basically, here's what's happened. The people are in a bad situation. Everything is really bad. And God shows up. And God says, introduces himself to, to Gideon. And he tells Gideon, I'm going to use you. So let's pick up on verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the tabernacle tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Aberazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So let's pause right there for a minute, just so you understand what's going on here. Remember, Gideon's afraid. The people of Israel are in fear they're living in caves they're living in holes they're hiding and what the bible tells us is that when the lord shows up to talk to gideon he's threshing wheat in a wine press in other words that's not where you that's not where you thresh wheat and so what we find is that gideon is hiding the bible tells us that he was threshing the wheat in the wine press so the midianites wouldn't know that he was there and so gideon's afraid if you're hiding in fear, if you're pulling back, if you're running away, if you're retracting from life, from challenges, maybe you need to get a bigger picture. Because last time I checked, the Bible says that he is greater than you. And so whatever challenges might you might face, whatever things might come your way, whatever circumstances might seem like you just can't get through them, I want you to understand, I want us to see from Scripture that you, you can make it, you're going to make it we got to get a different perspective i'm literally jumping into another sermon series that i'm working on by making this statement but here's the point your perception becomes your experience how you see it becomes what you experience isn't it interesting that two people can go into the same circumstance and have different experiences completely different experiences both both people show up to the job maybe i'm speaking to you You show up to the job, and and one person says, man, I had a great day, and the other one goes, oh man, it sucked, and they were both working together. Why? Perspective. And see, the information we draw from determines our perspective. It determines how we see things. If you've got people yapping in your ear, if you're consulting people who you think are in the know, then you you might wanna consider this, that if your experience is negative, it's because you've taken on something That possibly isn't true. Get to fact finding. Go to the source. Go talk to the people that you need to talk to. Find out the truth. Go to the Lord. Get some perspective, some proper perspective. And so uh, the Lord introduces himself to him. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now pause right there. What kind of introduction is that? We don't see... The Lord saying, hi, I'm the Lord. Watch the introduction of God. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's how God addresses um, Gideon here. And watch Gideon's response. Verse 13, he says, oh my Lord. If the Lord is with us, now stop right there. God is speaking to him and here's his response. If the Lord is with us, Gideon doesn't even know who he's talking to. He's completely oblivious to who he's talking to. And so he says, if the Lord is truly with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And so here's what we find. We find the source of Gideon's insecurity. Gideon's talking to God, and his response reveals that he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't know him. Notice that he doesn't say, our God. He says, of the God that we heard from our fathers. Gideon had no clue as to who God was. He was oblivious. He'd heard of him, but it wasn't a personal experience. Had it been a personal experience, his perspective would have been different. You should pause right there for a minute and consider, how am I seeing things? If I'm feeling alone, if you're seeing things as completely hard, maybe it's because you've forgotten who's the God that's with you. And so in verse 14, it goes on to tell us that the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. That doesn't even make sense if you think about it. Gideon's saying, I can't. Mighty warrior. Who? Who? You talking about some other guy? Not me? And the Lord says to him, go in this might of yours. And you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Quick question. Who's going to defeat the Midianites according to what we just read? Who? Gideon. Gideon's going to defeat the the Midianites. God's telling him, I'm going to defeat them through your hand. I'm going to do this in this might that's yours. What might is the Lord talking about? See, the only thing that Gideon needed to know to overcome and enact a solution that God in store had in store for him was this God is with me God sent me and God empowered me that's all the information that he needed God is with me God sent me God empowered me now let me just give you a quick disclaimer here because maybe you might be going well I went where God sent me and it didn't work it turned out bad sometimes we make choices and we point it on God It it amazes me how many people I've I've met that say, the Lord told me to come here. Well, praise God, you're here. Praise God, all right? Let's get to growing. And then all of a sudden, the Lord changes his mind the following week because they got offended about something. The Lord changes his mind because now he's taking me in this direction. And they go from place to place and situation to situation, circumstance to circumstance. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like what the book of James talks about. The unstable man who's like a wave tossed to and fro. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what he's at. And everywhere he goes is, the Lord sent me there. Sometimes we make our own choices. But not in this case. In this case, God is telling him, I'm sending you. And the victory, the solution that you're looking for, Gideon, it's right in your hand. If you don't believe that God can and does work through you, you'll never see the deliverance that God has provided through you. Your solution is right in your hand. The question is, are we seeing it? Look at what Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Watch verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. See, God is at work in you and through you, but you have to work it out of you. We have to participate. Listen, God's God's part of the deal is his grace, his favor, and everything that comes with it. Our part of the deal is faith. It's our response. It's what we do with what God is telling us. That's our part. And if you're facing circumstances, if you're going to face challenges, because we all will, what we have to understand is this, that before we go complaining to God, we have to realize, what's my part? What am I to do? Lord, help me see. And so in verses 15 through 17, we find that... uh, he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And so basically what he's saying is, I'm unqualified. I don't got the goods. I can't do it. And the Lord says to him, surely I will be with you. Listen to this. And you shall defeat the Midianites, watch this, as one man. So question question. Where does Gideon factor into this story at that point? You know what the Lord is saying to him? He's saying to him, Gideon, when you go, it's like I'm going. We're one. You're waiting for God to show up, and God's waiting for you to show up. The solutions that we seek are right in our hand. Right in our hand. God's given us his word. God's equipped you. He's placed his very spirit in you. His power, his anointing. The Bible says that in Christ's wisdom has been made known to so us. The wisdom of God, the, the calling of God, the equipping of God. We have everything that we need. You got it right now. Right now. Could you look at somebody and say, I got it? I got no. no that was weak. Oh my God. You guys don't even believe that. I got it. You do? Yes, I got it. Listen, you got what you need. And so what we see after this is this, that Gideon still doubts the Lord. He asked the Lord to prove himself to him. So he says to him, hey, okay, Lord, I get it. Let me go get a sacrifice, and I'll bring it back, and I'm going present it before you. And here's what he, he, if you read the scripture, what you'll see is that he's proving God by saying, I'm going to bring the sacrifice, but you got to consume it. I'm not going to light it up. And so the Lord consumes it. You would think that Gideon gets it at that point. But then Gideon, Gideon says, all right, I got it. I'll go. And Gideon goes. He calls all the men of war. 32,000 men show up. Wow, that's a sizable army, right? Let's pick up in uh, verse 7, the chapter 7, verse 2, and watch what it says. Judges chapter 7, verse 2 says And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. And so here's what happens. God says to him, you got 32,000 men. You got too much. You got too much. But wait, they're coming against three kingdoms. They're coming against the Midianites, they're coming against the Amalekites, and they're coming against the people of the east. So they're coming against several armies And God says to him, you got too many. That's like if all of you are coming against me. And God says to me, Jose, you can beat them all. It it doesn't look like you can. It doesn't look like we can make it. And that's what God is saying to him. Gideon, you got too many. And he's pointing to the heart of something for them. You still think you can do this. You still don't get the picture that I'm the one who's going to do this through you. And so it seems that God's math is off here. But there's a valuable lesson here. We don't need more of you filling the blanks for yourself. We don't need no more of people. We don't need no more uh, uh, of resource. We don't need no more of encouragement from us. We don't need others' opinions. We don't need this or that. What we need is more of God. What you need to see is how great God is. You got to get a different perspective you got to begin to see and truly believe, Lord, if you're with me, who can be against me? Yes. That's right. Who? There's nothing that can stop you and where you're leading me, Lord. Think of it this way. There's nothing that a man has ever built that can't be destroyed. There's nothing that mankind has ever made, created, enacted that can't fail. Where men fail, God doesn't. Where mankind fall short, God doesn't. There is nothing that can stop what God can do through you. And so God says to Gideon, get rid of all the men. Get get rid of everybody you brought to the table. Because while you could win with these many men, it'll only be your destruction because it'll point you back to you. And so... In the the ensuing verses, we see that Gideon says, uh, all right, God tells him, ask them, who are the men that are afraid? If anybody's afraid, you can go, 22,000 raised their hands, and they cut out. He's left with 10,000, you would think, all right, 10,000, we can still do something, each one, your responsibility, you got to take five guys down, that's 50,000 we can beat, we can beat these armies. And God says to him, you still got too many people. Still got too many people. And so the Lord says to him, take the men and take them to drink water. And those that get on their knees and drink from the water, get rid of them. And he says, those that bend over and lap from the water with their hand, keep them. And so when he does that, 9,700 men are disqualified. He's got 300 people left. And mind you, now, I think we can relate with Gideon. Maybe you have been there. Maybe you are there. Maybe you will be there. But I think we can all relate with Gideon that we're looking and we're going, ain't got enough. I can't do... God, how's this going to work? So we can only imagine what Gideon's going through. 300 men? And we know that he was still struggling with it because these 300 men... He was still doubting. Watch the story. He's got 300 men. And here's what I love about these guys. Let's go to verse 8 in chapter 7. It says, So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So that word provisions there in the Hebrew speaks of food. I'm thinking it's talking about weapons. It's talking about food. And so, I want you to envision this. I'm your general, and we're going to war. And I say to you, take trumpets, take the food that you got, and take some jars and some torches. You get the right idea, right? What? We're going against three armies, and we're not even taking a sword? We're not even taking a shield? We're not even taking some slingshots or whatever. It doesn't make sense, but these guys took just their food, their trumpets, and were getting and to told them. You know why? Because they trusted and had a word from the Lord. All you need is to know that God said, and if God said, you stick with it. You think they didn't see the armies? You think they weren't aware that the entire valley was, was, was overshadowed like locusts with all their enemies? You think they didn't see that? You think that they didn't feel the ground tremble under them as these armies marched towards them? They were amongst those 32,000 men. But these guys were smart enough and brave enough to know if I'm going to drink water, I'm not going to get on my knees. Because if I do, then I give my, my enemy an open door to access me. No, I'm just going to lap water because I'm ready. And guess what they were ready with? Trumpets. (laughs) That doesn't even make sense. Trumpets. The trumpets that the Bible is referring to are what is known as shofars. And that shofar, according to the book of Numbers and other areas in in the Old Testament, what you'll see is that when they blew the shofar, it was a call for war. But here's what it also did. It reminded God that they were his people. And so these guys knew, all we got to do is worship. All we got to do is lift our, everything that God has given us and just praise him. Because we know he's more than enough. And so in verses 10 through 12, and we're not going to read them, we find that Gideon's still afraid. He's still afraid. And God says to him, well, Gideon, if you still doubt, go down to the camp of your enemies. Go down there and just listen to what they're saying. And so let's pick up in verses 13 and 14. It says that when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream. There was a man telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Listen to what Gideon hears. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else, watch this, but the sword of Gideon. The son of Joash, a man of Israel, listen, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Gideon finally gets a glimpse of what God's been telling him all along. Gideon, you're complaining to me. And Gideon, my response to you is, look at what I've placed in your hand. Your solution is in you. There's no challenge you will ever face that your faith in God and the Christ that lives in you now today by his spirit that you can't overcome. He's with you. He's for you. Who can be against you? See, there are things that God wants you to be free from. You have freedom. But maybe you still think according to habits. Maybe you still think according to a path. Maybe, just maybe, you allow your mind to go there every now and then. Experiences, lies of the enemy, whatever. But as Gideon, God has placed a solution in you, in me, in us. And our response is to act in faith. In faith. There came a time when Jesus asked his disciples, Hey guys, I've been with you all this time. Who do you say that I am? And The Bible says that the the disciples who would later be apostles say to him, Oh, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist. There are other people who say that you're uh, Elijah. The list goes on and on, and Jesus says to them, but wait, who do you say that I am? What do you see? Who am I to you? And Peter responds and says, you're the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the promised one. In Matthew chapter 16, 19, as we close here, it records part of Jesus' response. Prior to Jesus, says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for man has not revealed this to you, but God. And in verse 19 of chapter 16 of the book of Matthew, Jesus says, and I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Catch what Jesus is saying to Peter. Catch what Jesus is saying to us. I've given you the keys. Now if I give you the keys to my car, guess what that means? Literally, you can open my car. Not only can you open my car, you can drive my car. Not only can you drive my car, but you can go wherever you want to go with my car because I've given you the keys. So now let's just magnify this picture a little bit further. Jesus says, I've given you the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom. He's not talking about an earthly kingdom, he's saying, I've given you access to all that is already done in heaven. And so if God says, That's my child, guess what? You have that authority. And because you have that authority, not only are you his child, but you can go where heaven declares you can go. Yes, yes. There's nothing that can stop you when you get a word from God. And so here's how you bring heaven to earth Lord, your word tells me so. And Lord, because you said that I can go against these three armies, against these challenges, against whatever I'm facing, Father, I'm going. <laughs> Hear the word of the Lord. You got the keys. I've already authorized you. Your job is to bring heaven to earth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You know what Jesus is saying? Go ahead and do it because heaven backs you up. Oh man. I was having a conversation with someone earlier, and I was just saying to him, the very things that you desire for your son, call those things that be not as though they are. He says, Pastor, but, but I am, and I said, Great. But where do you see your son as a man of God? How do you see him as a part of the body of Christ? And he looks at me and I said, Call those things that be not as though they are. Heaven backs you up. You're looking at your children. You're looking at your finances. You're looking at your job. You're looking at your circumstances. And here's what I encourage you today with. Your solution is in your hand. Why not bring heaven into it? Declare what heaven declares about your circumstances. Don't let excuses get in your way like they did for Gideon. Get a revelation that your solution is in your hand, that it's by your hand that you will overcome your Midianites. God wants to do it through you. The question is, will you take the first step?